I'd invite you to uh, stand in body or spirit. And thank you, Donna, for the lovely prayer and uh, Carol and Mary Lou. I think um, there's probably not much left for me to add to that. But since I went ahead and wrote something, uh, the scripture this morning will come from the gospel of John. But first, uh, let us go before God's word, very likely as Jesus and the disciples would have reciting what he called the great commandment uh, and what they would have called the Shema. If you'll follow after me in Hebrew, we'll join together in English. Shema Israel. Adonai Eloheinu. Adonai Ahad. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, For the past couple of weeks, we were at the last night of Jesus' life in the Gospel of John. And now we go forward to after the resurrection where uh, Jesus, as Roger mentioned, uh, meets his disciples and he's prepared breakfast for them in a fire by the lake. Picking up the story in verse 15 of chapter 21. When they'd finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, you know that I love you, he said. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you truly love me? He answered, Lord, you know that I love you. Take care of my sheep, Jesus said. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. When you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Be seated, please. The God of the Bible, our God, can rightly be called the God of the second chance. All the way through the Bible, there are stories of people who make a mistake but get a chance to be redeemed. Adam and Eve make a mistake, but they get to live outside the garden. Uh, Cain kills his brother Abel, and yet God puts a protective sign on Cain. Uh, Jacob tricks his brother Esau, and yet at the end of his life gets opportunity to reunite uh, with uh, Esau and uh, be reconciled. Uh, Joseph's brothers sell him into slavery, and yet they get a chance toward the end of the story to be reunited with Joseph after they refuse this time to leave the youngest brother, Benjamin, as a slave or a prisoner. And then we move forward, and there's the story of Moses, who is a murderer of an Egyptian and yet uh, gets an opportunity to lead his people uh, into freedom away from the slavery of Egypt. We continue on, and the great prophet Elijah has won a great victory at Mount Carmel over all the false prophets, and then decides when he's threatened by Queen Jezebel that he's had enough, and and he packs it in. But God hunts him down, and at a broom tree offers him a second chance. Then there's Jonah, called by God to go preach to the wicked people at Nineveh, and Jonah decides he'd rather not. Ends up, of course, being thrown overboard, swallowed by a large fish, and spit up on land and given a second chance. And of course, the second chance theme continues in the New Testament. Paul, who has persecuted the followers of Jesus, suddenly gets opportunity now to convert people to Jesus. But perhaps the classic example of the second chance in all the Bible is Peter. 
On the last night of Jesus' life, when he was betrayed by Judas, he was also betrayed by Peter, one of his closest disciples, who denied even knowing him three different times as he sat by a fire. And now, sometime later after the resurrection, they're by a fire again. And Jesus gives Peter that proverbial second chance three times. Once for each denial, he says, this, or, uh, comes up with this question, Peter, do you love me? Truly, we have a God of the second chance. As I was thinking through the Bible, I couldn't think of too many times when folks didn't get second chances, but one of them really stands out to me. It's a tribe of people called the Amalekites. And when Moses' people were escaping from Egypt, there were uh, 100,000 men and, and untold women and children that are escaping. And so you, you might imagine they're quite a long line stretched as they go through the desert having crossed the Red Sea. And one of the things that happens is there's a tribe called the Amalekites who comes and swoops down to do battle with and take into slavery everyone at the end of the line nursing mothers, small children who can't keep up um, a very fast pace, the elderly, the infirm, uh, those who are battling uh, illnesses, they are all swept up into slavery. And God says, in words that are amazing to me, God said, I will never forget this and I will blot out the Amalekites. And in the Old Testament, you see God basically keeping that commitment about the Amalekites. What was the difference between the Amalekites and Peter? Well, I will tell you the thing about the Amalekites that's so terrible, Moses will say later, is that they picked on the helpless. They picked on the weak. And I think that's interesting because what's Peter's second chance but to do this, to feed my sheep and take care of my lambs. Now, obviously, I'm not a shepherd, but I made enough trips to Israel and to Turkey to understand something of shepherding in the Middle East. And I have to tell you that sheep are not the Phi Beta Kappa of animals. Uh, sheep are not always the smartest of animals. They are vulnerable. They need protection. They need guidance. We might call them weak. And so Jesus is telling Peter, with your second chance, I want you to care for the weak. The very thing that the Amalekites did not do uh, 12, 13 centuries earlier before Peter. It is a biblical theme to care for those who are vulnerable and who are in need. Uh, Moses says in Deuteronomy 15, take care of the poor. He goes on to add, and the the widows and orphans uh, provide for them. And then he said, and the strangers welcome them. Remember you were strangers in Egypt. And then the Old Testament theme uh, continues to pick this up through prophets like Amos. But what was interesting to me is I never knew that the Jews have a concept of antichrist, sort of like the Christians. And I learned this from Ray Vanderland. They, have a, they had a, a tradition or belief that there would be an anti-Messiah who would rise up one day. Whenever the Messiah showed up, there would be somebody against the Messiah. And their belief was that, Messiah, that anti-Messiah would come from the Jewish tribe of Dan. It would actually come from the people of the Jews. And if you know anything about Dan, here's the first thing you or want to know. The first thing you need to know is when the Amalekites swept down and attacked those who were unprotected, they were unprotected because Dan was supposed to be doing it and Dan didn't stay back there. Like so many of us who are in line to try to see something or get something we want, Dan just kind of went to the front of the line in the Exodus and didn't stay back. 
this theme of protecting the vulnerable, of course, continues into the New Testament. When Paul is summing up his life for people who love him very much before he's arrested in Jerusalem, he says this to the elders of Ephesus. He said, look, in chapter 20, he said, I took care of the weak because I remember that Jesus said it is more blessed to give than to receive. Caring for those in need is a theme Jesus, of course, picks up in the gospel of Matthew. Uh, Jesus talks about the parable of the sheep and the goats. And what he says is, if you've done something for the least of these, you have done it for me. And he puts it all together in John 21 and ties a bow on it. When he, in the resurrection, he talks to the disciples about what it is to follow him. And basically he says, you can't follow me without feeding those others. In other words, you can't love me unless you love people who are in need. And that's been a biblical theme, and I think it's been a Christian theme. Historians will argue one of the reasons Christianity took hold in Rome was because the way they cared for those who were vulnerable are in need. And so I want to suggest to you this morning, the measure of us as a church at Alamo Heights or as a denomination or just Christianity in general is basically, according to Jesus, how do we care for those who are vulnerable and weak. Dietrich Bonhoeffer made this observation as the Christians turned their back on those in need in Nazi Germany. And he said, the elimination of the weak will be the death of community. Dorothy Day, the great reformer of more than a century ago, once made this observation that Jesus had convicted her that she only loved God as much as she loved the person she loved the least. Let me run that by you one more time. Dorothy Day said, I only love God as much as I love the person I love the least. Dorothy Day was not willing to uh, turn her back on those in need. We might not like all of her politics and actions, but you understand the heart behind it. So I think it raises a question for us this morning. Well, all right, who are these weak and vulnerable? Who are these people in need? In the Old Testament, it's pretty clear that they start with widows, because they had no one to care for them, uh, typically uh, no husband and typically no sons, and that left them vulnerable uh, in the economy of the world. Orphans, because they had no parents. Strangers, because they were new to a territory. So that was kind of the first category you run into in the Older Testament. Another category you run into is the aged, uh, those who were older and infirm because of their age. You probably know that the fifth commandment, honor your father and mother, doesn't mean... Uh, uh, is not, excuse me, limited to when your mom and dad tell you to do something when you're younger, you do it. There's a place for that. And that's in the book of, Ephes, of Ephesians. But what it probably meant originally was when your mom and dad no longer contribute to the gross national product of Israel, when they no longer contribute to the family income, you do not set them aside. There was concern uh, for those who were aged. They were concerned for children. Uh, it probably seems... Uh, us, but the ancient world, by and large, didn't value children. Uh, we know that in Paul's day, in Ephesus, they would expose between 200 and 500 babies a day in what we might call a large baby dump. Just it, leave them there to die. And one doctor in Ephesus in the first century wrote a book that how to go through the baby dump and pick out a baby that's worth keeping as a slave. Children weren't valued. They were cast aside. The difference between Judaism and their Egyptian neighbors was that the Jews valued their children and they told stories. They passed the faith on to their children. And of course, Jesus 
when the disciples wanted to push back against the children said, let the children come to me. Children represent those who are vulnerable and in need of protection. And then there's another biblical category, the poor. And we're told to take care of the poor, but the poor aren't just those who are economically challenged, though certainly uh, they're included in that category. Often the poor in the Older Testament meant those um, who were struggling in some way. Maybe they're struggling with illness. Maybe they're struggling with grief or a life transition. Uh, Maybe they're struggling in a relationship. Uh, They're having a difficulty at some point. They become what's known as the poor. And Jesus, uh, following the teaching of the Old Testament, said, these people who are vulnerable, that's the measure of your faith. Now, one of the things Jesus does in this passage, and and you watch English translations try to pick it up, but it's hard to do. The one I read you will use the word truly love instead of love. But what Jesus says, apparently in the Greek, is like, Peter, do you agape me? Do you love me like I love you, agape? And Peter's response is, I feel you, like Philadelphia. I love you like a brother. And Jesus says, all right, Peter, do you agape me? And Peter's response is, I feel you. I mean, I love you like a brother or a good friend, Jesus. And then the third question is, Jesus said, okay, Peter, do you feel me? Do you love me like a brother or a friend? And Peter says, yes, I feel you. So one line of thinking is that Jesus says, you got to start somewhere, Peter. I'll start with, with wherever you love me as best you can, and we'll start there and take care of my sheep. But I think to me, a better interpretation might be, it doesn't matter what word the Romans or the Greeks or Americans use for love, whether it's brotherly love, romantic love, uh, faithful love in terms of of Christianity, whatever the word is for love, if it doesn't include care and protection, it's not love. Pick out whatever your concept of love is, and if it doesn't include protection, for caring and protecting the one who's loved. Biblically, it's not love. So Peter gets a second chance to really love. You know, most of our stories about second chances are are nice and good in the sports world. You know, they might miss a kick and at the end of the game, they get another chance to kick and and win the game and and they get that second chance. On the Hallmark Channel, they get second chances at love. And, And I'm not against any of those second chances. I just want to tell you that biblically, the second chance that counts is a second chance to love and protect and help those in need if we have not been doing it all ready. That's the second chance that counts the most. The Jews had a saying in Jesus' day that said, as long as the candle is burning, it's not too late. In other words, as long as you still got breath in your lungs, you can learn to love as Jesus would have you love. So this morning at the close of the service, I want to invite you to a really special opportunity to look at what you might do while your candle's burning. You're going to find a number of displays and setups, uh, everything from Pumpkin Patch and Stephen Ministry to uh, uh, the ministries Roger mentioned, the children's sermon, and everything in between. Opportunities to love and care for the, for the vulnerable. I hope you'll go take a look. And yeah, you got to look at your own risk because Jesus might just touch you. Mother Teresa once said her greatest lesson in life, she said, I learned never to say no to Jesus. And maybe he's calling. But on the other hand, 
Remember, Jesus also said it's better to give than to receive. And I think in loving, you find life that you didn't find before. I'm reminded of the story of the missionaries decades ago in another country behind the Iron Curtain, um, a pastor, his wife, and they had two kids, two daughters. And one day the uh, communists came and said, uh, you're, we're going to deport you. We're kicking all the missionaries out of the country. You've got 24 hours. We're coming for you tomorrow. And you can take 200 pounds with you from the country back where you came from. Well, that put them in a panic. How would they make this decision? You know, missionaries, a pastor, and we pastors, well, we love our books. They weigh a lot. And, and uh, the pastor's wife, the missionary's wife, well, she had a sewing machine she dearly loved and a bicycle that they used for the family that meant a lot to them. And the kids, the daughters, they had toys. And so with great angst, they tried to figure out 200 pounds. How do we do it? What will we value? What things over other things? And finally, they made hard decisions. Soldiers came for the next morning and they said, did you weigh everything? Is it 200 pounds? And they said to the soldiers, yes. Then the soldiers looked at mom and dad and said, and did you weigh the kids? Suddenly, books, sewing machines, bicycles, toys meant nothing. There's so many things we can gather for ourselves in life, but ultimately we will find satisfaction and joy if we can answer this one question. Did you weigh the kids?